You're listening to the Living with Licensing podcast, brought to you by Asgard Media. L-I-C-E-N-S-I-N-G, news and info, stuff is happening, here's the place you've got to go, for the cool kids in the know. Now here's your host, Kelvin Gardner. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Living with Licensing. And today's edition is slightly unusual one. We've interviewed many entrepreneurs and many senior executives already from the licensing business, but this is the first time we've interviewed somebody who took a long established family business and successfully added licensing to their product mix to the point that licensing is now extremely important to them. And so I'd like to welcome this morning, uh, this week's guest from family business, Acroyd and Son, David Acroyd. Good morning, Kelvin. How are you? <laughs> Good morning, David. Yes, indeed. It's, um, I think as well as can be expected is the, is the term we're all using, using at the moment, isn't it, for that? Incredible circumstances. Ten months down the line and, if anything, worse off than we were ten months ago. It's uh, an incredible situation. Yes, and one we, we tend to sort of read in the history books, don't we, about Spanish flu and stuff like that and never think we'll ever live through it. As a, as a teenager, I was keen on it. I don't even remember. I think it was a BBC show called Survivors, which was about people surviving a pandemic. Uh, yeah. Not quite as good, as good as bad as that show where they were shooting each other in for farmhouse accommodation. Yet, yet. <laughs> <laughs> you remember, not yet, exactly so, but... Uh, Anyway, thank you for joining us today. And, we, and we're going to look at, um, you know, the, the, your history and so on and so forth. But just, just give us a quick update on where Acroyd and Sons is today in the licensing business. Um, where we are today? Well, uh, um, we've been in licensing now, as you said, quite rightly, for 40 years. Mm. And um, where we are today is, well, I think, quite successful uh, we we only special well we have only specialised in very much in nightwear. Um, we're currently adding a little bit of, um, of of daywear swimwear to that portfolio, but ninety uh, percent of what we do is nightwear. We've always tried to run the business as jack of all trades, masters of none. <laughs> so yeah, and concentrating on what we know and. Um, Obviously, the massive background that Acroids have, have had for four generations of manufacturing mm. has, has put us in very good stead as far as dealing with overseas suppliers are concerned. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been an incredible scenario, the 40 years, the growth in the business uh, from making... Uh, Noel Coward smoking jackets <laughs> and windsiet girdle tie waist pajamas into into the old windsiet button through children's pajamas to yes, um, to where we are now with literally every type of bit of nightwear under the sun. The different fabrications are mm. quite incredible this day and age, uh, and. Yep. Um, it's it, it really is an, an an amazing scenario so we currently now as i said we um, we ceased production in the uk on the 23rd of may 2007 
Yeah, that, but, but you, given that you, because you, uh, your website, this is not in-depth research for me, David, your website says the firm was established in 1918 yeah, uh, in yeah. Manchester. Just, yeah. um, do you know, what was the rationale behind it? I mean, what, 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 what led to the formation of the... It was, my, it was my great-grandfather who yeah. literally, um, uh, after the First World War, um, saw an opportunity in, in clothing. Uh, don't mm-hmm. forget, in those days, the North west of England and Manchester especially was was prolific as far as um, the clothing industry was yeah. concerned in, mm. in all the big spinning, weaving, yep. mills, dyeing, finishing. It was, it was incredibly um, buoyant and he saw an opportunity and literally started sewing in in a in a garage right okay and that, that obviously moved um moved on and as i said it was always manchester based um yeah. the factory that i first went into back in god the mid 60s now was mm. um was in collyhurst in manchester yeah uh thriving area for, for manufacturing um and coach collyhurst all that area yeah. and so um so yeah so it was why he started it, I'm afraid I, I, I don't know. Okay. But then my grandfather carried on the business through the Second World War. Um, up to that, we started in actually making army shirts. And then after the Second World War, obviously the army shirts um, market sort of um, didn't die, <laughs> didn't die away, but, um, but was, was less. So we moved into... Um, as I said, the, the smoking jackets and the quilted robes and all, all of this sort of Amazing. thing. I don't imagine, I, I, I bet there's a specialist supplier of quilted smoking jackets somewhere on the internet these days. But well, so. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is. <laughs> I, 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 I still, I do laugh. I walked into a factory in Bangladesh a few years ago now and and on the cutting room table there was the, the they were laying up some quilted um, mm. fabric i think it was more for the what we would call the sort of the the overcoat situations right. now and yeah whatever. but but it was the same scenario you'd literally get about 15 lays of a, of, of of this fabric it was about two foot high and <laughs> you'd have to wade through it with your with your cutting equipment to um and, <laughs> and get 15 garments off it and so it's uh, the bulk of the of the fabrications and whatever was was, was quite amazing. And, and you mentioned Winciette. Now that's probably yeah. a term that's not doesn't come quickly to the lips of the contemporary no. nightwear purchaser. What, what exactly was Winciette? Winciette was a woven um, uh, fab, fabric with um with a really soft brushed handle to it. Uh, very warm. It was. Um, you know, don't forget you're going back into the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, houses didn't have central heating. Of course, yeah. yeah, no such thing. They had open coal fires, and in the bedroom you had literally next to nothing if you had a one-bar electric um, heater. <laughs> I remember it all too well, David, being a Lancashire lad um, myself, of course. But uh, a lot of people today won't even can't even imagine that um, that sort of that we went and lived in those times I mean you know electricity was you know it only just started coming into generally into houses and Mm. and certainly televisions I mean if you had a television when I was growing up my god you were um 
you know, you were sort of uh, one of the elite. I'm sure that's true, yes. You know, it, it is amazing when you look at the technology we have now and, and how things have moved on. Yes, and, and technology being the opposite of most things. If you look at inflation, everything goes up. But 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 technology, TVs and that come down in price. I mean, I, I, while since I looked at it, but your TV set in the 1950s would cost about a month of an average working man's pay, wouldn't it, to buy one? As you can, you can yeah, get. Well, no, if you remember, Kelvin, nobody bought a television. No, it was of course. <laughs> radio rentals. Radio rentals, yes. It was all rented and you paid it weekly and, and whatever. Nobody could afford a, a, a television. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, quite incredible. But, but you you were you were born in uh, my part of the world, so technically you're you're a Lancashire lad like me, born in Saint. Yeah, I was born in I was born in Saint Anne's on Sea, so mm. I'm a Sangronian. There are not a many Sangronians, okay. because, <laughs> as you know, Lytham Saint Anne's is very much um, a retirement area, mm. outskirts of Blackpool. Um, but you know, if you live in Saint Anne's, you don't mention Blackpool. Of course. <laughs> Yeah. And you've got the golf course as well, of course. Lytham, Lytham, yeah, Royal Lytham St. Anne's, one of the best golf courses in the world. And yeah, um, yeah um, we, we, when I was born, we literally lived at the back of them, um, backing onto the, the golf course. Word, right. Then we moved, uh, we moved to Macclesfield when I was only three years of age. Okay. And um, was my first education was in Macclesfield. And then in the early 60s my father's whose health had never been really good since um since his escapades in the war um we uh he had a very bad chest and a bad back and he loved going to north wales for yeah. weekends so yeah. we would jump in the family car and go to north wales and he loved it and he was actually recommended that um again in the old days you know the manchester uh, we talk uh, we talk so much about pollution these days and how mm. how terrible it is that china and india are yeah. polluting the world well i'm very sorry in my lifetime you wanted to see what pollution we here in the uk did <laughs> yes. it was staggering mm. and the hand and the phrase i can't see a hand in front of your face yeah. was literally you had to walk along the walls in Manchester, feeling the wall to mm. know where you were going because the smog was yeah. that thick. You literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Mm. So, um, mm. so his health, so they recommended him moving. We contacted Mid Wales Development, um, who open arm wanted, with open arms wanted anything new manufacturing wise. Yeah. And made the decision in 1962. Well, I didn't. My father and um, my uncles did yeah. to um, set up a small production unit in Bala in North Wales. Mm, yeah. Beautiful area, um, and and really the rest is history. And we up sticks from Macclesfield, and uh, the first thing I knew, I was walking into Bala Grammar School with. Um, with obviously my twin brother but yeah. we were probably the only two people in the whole of the school who spoke English <laughs> okay right. Welsh orientated and um and whatever and we stood out like literally sore thumbs people just couldn't believe who, who on earth were these um English speaking people 
So, um, well, but- quite, that's, and that's that, that's fascinating, particularly to me in the context that another in, another uh, podcaster who's going to be coming up soon is Helen Howells, who uh, yeah. is very proud of her Welsh roots, and she's of a slightly more recent generation. She had the opposite problem, of course. She her mother had to go out of the way to help her to learn Welsh in a in a native Wales, because by that time, there'd been so much done to suppress the Welsh language, nobody was speaking it anymore. So what a change. Well, it's, 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 I mean, certainly there were, hence the way the, you actually had the, um, the radicals of Cymdeithas um, Iaith and um, Free Wales Army. Yes. Um, and if you remember, we'll burn, you know, burn your summer houses down for the English people who had summer homes there. I remember the Sunday Times covering it, David. Yes, it's quite and, a movement, yeah. Um, you know, it, I mean, it, it didn't ever get quite as bad as Ireland, but, you know, with, with the violence scenarios, but there was massive hatred and a lot of, um, a lot of ill feeling. Mm. So, yeah, but uh, I mean, we learned to speak Welsh very, um, very quickly and um, integrated in the community, mainly through sport um, football, cricket, golf, and, um, and have lived very happily there ever since. So um, we then, moved uh, we had a production unit in Bedlington in Northumberland um the head main production unit was in as I said Collyhurst in Manchester yeah. and this small unit in Bala the um the the conscientiousness and and work ethic of the of the people there w- was far far greater and um we in the end um closed or um lessened our reliance on Manchester and, and Bedlington and um, built our production unit in Bala. Mm. So at one stage, um, over 250 girls producing 70,000 pairs of pyjamas a week mm, out, um, out of a, a little village in North Wales with, uh, you know, if 250 girls, uh, the population of Bala is only 1,800 <laughs> people. So um, we, we 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 would bust them in and and, and whatever. Yeah. So, and, and as you and you, so you and you kept that manufacturing uh, business going until as recently as two thousand and seven, and you must have worked very hard at that because by that time, competitors and other people in yeah, the uh, yeah. had all moved already from the U- UK. So you must have been you must spend a lot of time, effort, and money keeping that yeah. working. Yeah, we 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 literally went into every bit of automated um, um, production that there was automated bagging, automated hemming, automated cutting, which to, you know, to obviously to reduce the labor costs. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and it did work. And in the, in those days, you know, the retailers were, um, were very much more open to reaction to buy. I mean, I know some people might say they're doing it now, but nothing, nothing like the, um, we would, we would start a spring, summer BHS, an autumn, winter BHS program for our nightwear and book no more than 30% of the whole season. Right. And literally trade it through. Um, we were turning orders round in those days in five, six weeks, mm, yeah. and, and so we could we could literally work it and trade it through. Yeah, but even even that 
became, well, I'm sorry, yeah, we, we want the flexibility, but we don't want to pay it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we hung on and hung on, and the labour force <clears throat> tried desperately to hang on with us. Um, and I think, uh, I think it shows that, uh, that when we did actually have to close, um, the girls weren't in any shape or form um, <clears throat> resentful. They, yeah. they knew how hard we'd fought to keep it going. Yeah. And all they wanted was a party. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet it was a good one, though, anyway. Oh, God, it, it absolutely was, yeah. But um, but saying that, we're still 50, 60 people in, in Baller in our warehousing, reprocessing, distribution. And um, so we're still, a, we're still a big employer in, the, in, a, in a small little community. Yes, exactly. And uh, Sammy, it was obviously... Uh, a tough time, but I think you deserve congratulations for keep, for keeping that and doing everything you could to uh, keep the manufacturing going, which is great. But of course, you, despite the move to Wales, you, you're I know you're something, if if this is not an underestimate, of a Manchester United fan, and you're still a regular visitor to the hallowed gates of Old Trafford. I, I understand. Absolutely, my father took me and Nigel when we were six, seven years old. In those days, there was only literally one stand that had seats at Old Trafford. The rest mm -hmm. was all standing up. Uh, he was fortunate enough to be a very good friend of Louis Edwards. All right, yes, massively um, famous in those days, chairman of Manchester United, and um, so he he had got two season tickets, and he would literally lift us over the turnstiles and we would sit on his knee and his friend who was with him went to, went with him to the game we would sort of squeeze in and and sit there and watch the games and then um in you know, when we were only eight nine years old he actually got us two season tickets My word. So been with them ever since then and uh, i think my one claim to fame has been that i I've not missed Manchester United in a cup final anywhere in the world since 1963, which is... <laughs> <laughs> we've still got six executive seats at Old Trafford, and, but obviously at the moment we can't go. It's been a big decline since Sir Alex left in 2013, but what an opportune time to, to talk to me this morning when... Last night, we beat Burnley to go top of the league in January for the first time since 2013. We're still making history there, David. That's absolutely true. And just a little personal note from me. Uh, I, my hometown is Warrington. And if you grew up in Warrington, uh, apart from our rugby league, which is my number one sport, you all, every, every, every school boy had to pick Everton, Liverpool, City or United. I, I did end up with United, I'm happy to say. And I was actually in Old Trafford the day that Alex Ferguson was appointed. I was at what they used to call a sportsman's lunch. I remember somebody rushing in and saying, we've got our new manager, it's Alex Ferguson. So I don't have quite the connections you have, but I was there on what, what turned out to be a fairly historic day. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've certainly met Sir Alex and uh, I was fortunate in my old days to actually meet Sir Matt Busby as well because oh, yes. yeah. he was at Louis Edwards' house one day when when we went as a, with friends. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a big a big part of my life. But that together with with all football, all sport, cricket and uh, especially golf. I love my golf as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful journey. Were you ever tempted to license Manchester United for anything? 
we absolutely have the Manchester United nightwear license. Oh, right. Actually, I didn't actually know that. So uh, yeah. I thought it was likely, but that wasn't. We've been making Manchester United nightwear now for probably 12, maybe 15 years. Mm, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Not CS uh, anymore, though, David, I guess. Though, I'm so. sorry? Not Winsiet pajamas anymore. Oh, absolutely not <laughs> Winsiet pajamas anymore. No, but uh, but yeah, no. God, that was. I can remember the the day you signed the license. My God, I was uh, very proud, very proud. <laughs> but um, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of incredible licenses over over all these years. Started with Barbie. Yeah, tell me about how that happened because that that was quite a shift. Uh, in what the company was doing. How did that come about, that whole yeah, thing? Yeah, we were dealing with Littlewoods. Littlewoods were huge in the um, in the 90s. Um, Sir John Moores, who um, who obviously set up the Littlewoods football pools, mm. also set up um, a hugely successful mail order and a chain store business, uh, all based at the JM Centre in Old Hall Street in Liverpool. And um, in those days... Littlewoods and GUS, Great Universal Stores, were were probably sixty percent of our business. Remarkable. So used to go to to Littlewoods an awful lot. I mean, those days buying was a totally different ball game. You had friendships with the buyers. You um, you went for drinks. You played golf with them. Um, it was um, it was quite a a social event as much as um as much as business but um but it all still got done and um the 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 buyer who was buying uh girls pajamas mail order girls pajamas yeah. um said to me that um that she'd just seen somebody who was um who was offering her um barbie to put on the front of a little girl's t-shirt and mm. she said well do you think it would work on pajamas and I said god pajamas with Barbie's a doll and it sounds an incredible sort of scenario you, anybody with today's mindset couldn't even work it out well, well of course it, it's obvious but um it wasn't obvious in those days and because a doll was a doll to be sold in a toy store and um and clothing was a um another so um, while there was character clothing, you know, Disney had um, leisure wear out their T-shirts and whatever. It was it was quite small and certainly was no character nightwear. When was that, David? When was that, David, exactly? Oh, um, uh, 1980. 1980, right, yes. So, um, so I went to see um, a delightful lady who was handling the licence in London, um, who... Um, wanted a listen to this a six percent royalty oh yes <laughs> um and more than happy for us to um to do um to do the nightwear um for for barbie right would that would that have been link licensing yeah, uh, no well actually yes it did turn into link licensing it was maori and um oh the lady's name with link gosh Terrible. I should remember, but I can't. Um, and yes, it ended up at link licensing. Um, and then, obviously, God, it's been it's been in several places since then. But um, yes, of course. Yeah. So, with the success that we put it into mail order catalog, uh, sold exceptionally well. So I um, actually went to Disney and asked Disney, saying, uh, you know, would they be interested in a 
uh, a nightwear license and um, they said, oh, they didn't think um, denied. and then they said, well, you know, let's, let's give it a little go and we, we've got, um, would you like to do some printed Winsiette pyjamas? So, mm, right. okay, well, we can do Winsiette, as I said, because yes. those are the old button-throughs and you just put an AO all over print onto them. Yeah. So they gave us a little license for that and literally the, the rest is... Um, the rest is history. So. Yeah, so, so from that moment on then, slowly but surely, uh, the licensing sort of took over the company's product range then. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from, from literally nothing to, I would say, by the time we reached, had reached 1985, 1986, we were 70% um, character mm -hmm. by then, uh, and the business was growing. Yeah. Um, it had gone through the, um, what I didn't say in my introductions and whatever is that the business had gone through some really difficult times um, in the in the 60s and 70s um, and it was struggling to keep going um, but, but somehow we we managed to do that and um, but then the growth really came with the nightwear and um, you know turnover has sort of increased steadily ever since. Yeah, so another example of how licensing can be quite transformational uh, with a business. Yeah. All right. And um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because obviously there were a lot of licenses flowed under the bridge in the intervening 20-odd years. But in 2014, uh, you uh, received the Honorary Achievement Award along with your designer at the time, Pauline Lonsdale. And I know that... Uh, that was a great honour for both of you, but Pauline played a very important role in those days for you, did she not? Well, absolutely huge. Um, well, just literally um, when this opportunity for Barbie came along, um, Acroids had never had a designer in any shape or form. Let me, let me just stop you there. That's an, well, how, what do you do in terms of... We were, we were given samples by the likes of Littlewoods and GUS. Um, mm -hmm. They knew what product area we made. So yeah. the buyer would say, um, I want you to um, draw me up a spec for this, find some fabric for, um, for that. And, um, and, and you literally... You, that that's we used the the retailers um sourcing you know sources of yeah. um yeah so they would give you things to copy sample cost and and you did that and um and and they gave you the business so yeah, yeah. um yeah of course a lot of a, a lot of um uk manufacturing companies were designing it and whatever and but I, I can always remember the conversation with somebody again in the pub and uh, it was um, can't believe you haven't got a designer Dave and I said I can't afford a designer yeah. and he said well you can get a designer out of college these days they you know they're, they're queuing up for jobs and mm. literally you have to pay them next to nothing and um, you know you, you, you if you want to move on you've really got to get yourself a designer so yeah. I thought to myself well and crazy enough sound it was a question of well god even if they're dirt cheap you can't afford one but um anyway i, I took bought the bullet and uh, bit the bullet and went to um went to hollins college and um, very famous college in manchester and said do you have anybody graduating who's looking for a job and they said oh god yes yeah yeah we'll um we'll, we'll send some people around to see you mm. and uh, i 
crazily enough, Pauline was literally the the first um, person who walked through the door. (laughs) Uh, Brought in about five portfolios and and I looked at it. And in those days, I was doing everything in the business, unloading vans, uh, helping in the cutting, mending sewing machines. And so I was sort of... And I looked, took one look at this, and I thought, my God, I've not got time to go through five portfolios. (laughs) (laughs) I literally looked at one portfolio, looked at Pauline, and literally, you've got the job. Right, okay. Um, So it was, um, and she she was incredibly, incredibly talented. um, And, you know, um, interpreted the character Nightwear uh, with innovation, um, we were probably the first manufacturing company to put edge to edge printing on okay. a pajama, you know, in other yeah. words, um, you know, print the whole front panel and then cut it back out into a, into a panel to sew into the garment. Um, everything before then had literally been just placement printing and, and whatever. Yeah. So we, we, we sort of got into that through Pauline and, um, and yeah, she was massively huge huge part of uh of, of of the growth and the um and and the way the business went with character mm. so um yeah sad loss a sad loss but yeah and, and absolutely right and uh, everybody who met her i know found a delightful company but it's great that she's uh, gone on the record with that achievement in in the awards as well which is great for another historical mark in the history of the acroids business david but um just coming right up to date then you you you've as you said throughout this uh podcast you, you know the, the business has uh, encountered challenges over the years of quite quite difficult ones and so when covid came along i guess that just adds to the catalog of uh, i mean what what were your thoughts back in february march 2020 about what you were going to do the retail environment was looking a bit shaky and what, what was your response to that it was we've we've faced massive challenges all the way through and every business always does and you have to adapt to change and you know the the main challenge we had was to move into importation when we realized that no matter what we did in the uk we were going to have to go uh, overseas um so we we had those challenges um but yeah the 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 covid challenge the first two or three weeks, Calvin, was just, well, Armageddon. Um, mm. It was cancel, 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 mm. cancel. Um, you know, don't deliver, stop. And, and of course, when you're importing, cancel, cancel, cancel is, mm. is a very cheap word. Um, mm. the, you know, you're, you're five, three, four, five, six months down the line on, on um, in, in certain areas. And... Uh, you can't just cancel. Uh, so it was, well, you know, if something doesn't happen here or we aren't going to have any products to sell and we're going to have massive stocks in our warehouse, it was, is, is the business going to even keep on going? Uh, the, 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 one, the one massive, I think, not saviour, but it was... Um, it gave us hope was the furlough scheme, which, you know, in yeah. fairness to, I mean, I know the government and every government and every politician has been hung, drawn and quartered over COVID and whatever. But, you know, I always say hindsight is an incredible thing and um, crit- criticising with hindsight isn't criticism. <laughs> it's, um, 
it was the most incredible scenario that that hit the country and how any politician could can try could try to tackle it is is beyond belief mm. so the furlough scheme was a massive help uh unfortunately our product area with it being nightwear and in lockdown obviously you know um people probably wanted if anything more of it yeah so, um once the retailers understood how things were going to work certainly the grocers then saw that they had footfall continuing yeah um obviously some of your bricks and more to the old high street retailers have suffered terribly and it's been a, um, absolutely awful for them uh but those again with online um with online facilities um the yeah the it was changing dramatically the industry was changing dramatically uh, we were seeing the growth of online. We were seeing the movement away from the traditional bricks and mortar high street. Uh, but and whilst I say it was changing, it was changing. It was changing slowly. Mm. Uh, it has just literally gone, just changed in overnight scenario mm. now. And online has become hugely, hugely more important. Yes, indeed. and I think that's part of any parcel of any business. We you've got to try and um, move with the time, seeing what is out there, seeing which retailers you need to be um, trying to support and deal with. Um, and I always use the analogy with when Woolworths went bust um, mm. back in, believe it or not, two thousand and eight. But in two thousand and eight, Woolworths, BHS, and Mothercare were over 80% of Acroyd's business. Amazing. Um, now, the three of them aren't even in existence, let mm. alone trading sort of thing. So, you know, you, you, you have to move on, you have to keep moving on, and uh, hopefully we've been, we've been trying to do that. It seems like you've been doing that since 1918, uh, David, so more, more power to your elbow. Now, we, we're... We're getting drawn to the end of our time together this morning, and normally with the people we have uh, on the podcast, we ask them a couple of questions that uh, apply to everyone. So I wanted to ask you whether you could tell us about any particular unusual or different meeting you may have had over your many years in the business that would, would uh, be good to hear about. Well, well, probably I've already mentioned the first meeting was when I met the lady to sign the Barbie license. Yes. Uh, is always quite memorable but um i think i think the other i mean one that really springs to, to mind is back in 1999 we were thinking of expanding our uh, unit in north wales our manufacturing unit i mean that, that does sound crazy now isn't it when you think the rest of the industry in the uk was literally closing shop and and going overseas we were seeing a huge growth in the character nightwear business which we were manufacturing and um we did think that it was sort of maybe um, um bomb proof as far as the retailers would still want it on a fast response out of the uk so we invested in a new production unit over a million one and a half million pounds mm. in the production unit in north wales again with massive help from mid wales development but um it was a huge investment so uh, literally philip green had just bought bhs 
Okay. And VHS were probably 40% of our business. So were we going to, what was he going to do? Philip Green was no, notorious for um, being quite a, a um, not cutthroat, but um, obviously um, a keen businessman as far as pricing, sourcing mm -hmm. and whatever was concerned. And would, would it mean that he wasn't interested in UK um, mm -hmm. production? He wanted, he would want cheaper production, albeit at a longer lead time. Um, so I asked for a meeting with him and was granted the meeting in BHS in the second floor of BHS in his very nicely um, offices there and went in with him together with the um, buying controller for children's wear. Mm. And uh, hello, Mr. Aykroyd, how are you? Yes, I understand you do our nightwear. Yeah, um, very successful. It's doing really well. Um, anyway, um, and turned around to his employer, uh, employee, and said, and, um, and tell me what sort of margin percentage do we, um, do we uh, take from, from Aykroyd's? Um, you know, is, 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 yep. is, is margin good, bad? Um, how are things? Oh, Mr. Green, um, well, um, I, I don't know. I'll, um, I, I'm pretty sure it's okay. Um, I'll, I'll get the figures. And he tore a strip out of his employer, employee in front of me mm. for not having absolutely chapter and verse of what Acroy's turnover figures, margin plans were. After tearing a strip off him, he said, um, Mr. Aykroyd, he said, um, I can assure you we need um, the sort of merchandise you are giving us. And um, uh, of course, margin is, is, is key. But he said, um, you, you keep your prices as tight as ever and we'll support you. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite incredible. So he, he just said hello to me. How are you? Thank you very much. Goodbye. And I, in the meantime, tore a strip off of his own person, his own employee. So that was an incredible meeting. It really was. One that was taking the mind, I'm absolutely sure. Yeah. And then another very difficult question to round up, um, uh, David. It, well, it, not necessarily the most successful uh, in any way, but what what are the your three favourite properties? Three favourite yeah. you've worked on out of all the ones you've worked on over the years. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it is it, it it's nearly impossible because there have been so many, um, so many. But uh, the first one that really, really took off for us was was Disney's Lion King. The Lion King. Um, I just you know that that really got character nightwear going. As I said, we we created edge to edge printing, and we put some foiling on the waterfall as Pumba and Timon walked across the bridge with the waterfall in the background and an edge-to-edge -edge print and that was oh just so revolutionary sort of thing so yeah like Lion King I remember and and then the things like I mean Bob the Builder was first time round quite staggering mm. Tweenies I don't know how many people even remember the Tweenies that mm. was um I mean, just incredible we couldn't get we couldn't we literally couldn't keep it on the shelves. 
but the, uh, but again, even probably going back before Lion King actually was um, was the very first um, teenage ninja mutant turtle. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know, that was I mean that was a phenomenon that just went went crazy. Oh, I think they were still they were known as hero turtles first time out, weren't they? Here because yeah, the BBC sensitivity like though yeah. they were ninja. I've got another little story that I have to tell you, which I think is always funny because um, in, in in going back in those days, as I said, I was doing a, a lot of things in the business, and one of my remits was also delivery man. Mm -hmm. And um, I was called into a, a meeting in Littlewoods, and I said they were on the um, on Old Hall Street in the centre of Liverpool. And I had an urgent delivery to make to their Shaw Mill, which was in Oldham. Mm. And my van, it was only a, a big transit in those days, which I was delivering with, was absolutely full of A-team pyjamas. Mm. Now, again, those, those of you who remember the A-team, Mr. T and mm. um, what's his name? Barakas or anyway, doesn't no, matter. B.A. Barakas, that's the guy. B.A., that's it. Um, I mean, it was huge, and we could not, we couldn't keep their mail order in in supply. Yeah. But I got a full load of eighteen pajamas. But I'd been called into this meeting, uh, so I had to go. I went into the GM centre. I parked the van literally in a side street in Little Liverpool. Um, obviously locked it up. Went into my meeting. Came out. Two hours later, went round the corner and all was on the floor was a pile of glass where they'd smashed the window. No van, nothing. <laughs> Ran back into the JM centre. Girl there I knew very well on reception. I'll phone the police for you, David, can't believe it. Man. Got on the internal phone to the, the buyer and said, you know, that meeting I've been in, I'm meant to be delivering... I said, this is the, you know, with as manufacturers, we've always used some pretty good excuses. I said, but here's a good excuse for non-delivery. I said, all your 18 pajamas have just been nicked from outside your head office. <laughs> and, and that is absolutely true. They found the van two hours later in a housing estate in, in Liverpool, doors ripped off, totally empty. But so... Um, I was able to rescue the van and uh, and then have to try and make another, I think there was probably four and a half thousand pairs of 18 pyjamas on that um, on that van and we had to make them again. So yeah, another little story. And I bet there were a lot of um, surprise young Liverpoolians wearing 18 pyjamas the next uh, night as well. <laughs> it was the thing at the moment, it was the thing. So they, they must have been, they thought, they kind of known what was in the van, obviously when they nicked it, but when they opened it up, they must have thought, "Wow, well, this is a, this is all holidays come into one." Amazing stuff, David. Yeah, and it, and although it's a, a a sad story in terms of theft, it is a, just a measure of how sometimes licensing has that power, grabs everybody's attention, and it's a must-have. In fact, when people are nicking it, you know it's a valuable property, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. David, thank you very much for your, for sharing your history with living with licensing, and and I hope we can all meet up again soon. Well, that is, I think that is the the be all and end all of it now, isn't it? What is it? It's going to be one big party when we can all get together again, isn't it? And um, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about all the times 
that we would have meetings and drinks and just convivial chat and enjoy each other's company. And yeah, it's um, it's so important. We have to do it very quickly. Hopefully, the vaccine will um, will allow us to do that sooner rather than later. Now, exactly. One day soon. Thank you very much for your time, David. Yes, Kelvin. Thank you very much. A big thank you to our sponsor, Dependable Solutions, the licensing management software specialists. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Living with Licensing, please tell your friends and colleagues.